If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and open up with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. Um, Good to see all of you uh, here at First Colony Christian Church as we continue in our sermon series on relationships. We're in a series right now called Kingdom Relationships. And we will start off in Mark chapter 12, so um, please turn there with me. Um, This is now going to be my third election as a pastor. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's this little thing coming up called the presidential election. Um, it's starting to get intense, um, if you, you haven't noticed. Uh, I was in the car coming back from a doctor's office uh, earlier this week, and I was talking to my mom. By the way, appreciate the prayers uh, for those of you who have been praying. Um, if you don't know, I had a seizure a while ago, and so I've been off the road for 54 days, not that anyone's counting, uh, and... Uh, the MRI and EEG I had in the last couple of weeks both came back good. And so the doctor said, you have a, a, a healthy, normal brain. And I was like, well, I think there's some family members or congregants that might disagree with you there. Um, and so I see the neurologist tomorrow morning, and hopefully I'll be on the road again soon. Um, but so she's kind of been driving me around um, like all good uh, kids without their license. And uh, so... We're in the car and we're coming back from the doctor's office and, and we get started talking about uh, politics and about you know, Trump and Clinton and kind of the whole situation that we have uh, around us. And as we're talking, neither one of us um, really is taking a position, right? I mean, we're just talking about every day new stuff comes forward, right? There's new media fodder, new things that you can talk about. But we, we find that, that our voices are getting louder, right? And our hearts are starting to race uh, a little bit faster, and, and we're starting to like, get like, a little angrier at each other. And, and we both kind of like, stopped at one point and kind of laughed, and we're like, what are we, what are we fighting about? Like, we're not even disagreeing on anything. We're just angry at each other, right? Just talking about politics. Um, and, and as a pastor, over the last week, particularly in this last week, I've had kind of a heavy heart as both campaigns have opened up kind of like a scorched-earth policy. Um, and, and so we've been through this— um, I mean, the country's been through this lots of times. Um, here's what I'd like to say uh, uh, to you as the congregation and, and to us as a faith community. Um, we're all going to have to live with each other after November 8th, right? I mean, it's going to come and it's going to go, and we're all still going to be here together. Um, and so as Christians, we need to um, maybe have a little bit of perspective, okay? Um, it's so easy, and, and I think even in this campaign, I think it unfortunately might get uglier, um, to allow ourselves to be poisoned by the like, divisive, um, demonizing um, kind of hatred rhetoric that you're, you're seeing in, in the campaign and, and, and kind of a lack of empathy. All the things that we've been talking about that um, build up relationships. Uh, in a political campaign, what unfortunately happens and is happening more now than, than I think we've seen in the last few years is everyone's trying to suck all of that out of you, Okay. So that anybody who disagrees with you is, again, demonized. I mean, can't possibly be an American, can't possibly be a patriot, can't possibly love God. Um, both sides, I mean, are going to get further and further and further entrenched. And, and all this to say, um, I think we need to have our, our heads above the course here. I don't know if you are, are a member of or, or watch the discussion that takes place on, I think, what is now America's most intellectual um, discussion forum, Facebook. Uh, but you've got more and more right, articles being shared. And, and I'm watching as like <laughs> a family, right, is like 
going after each other in the comments about, you know, a certain politician and, and, and things get ugly. And then all of a sudden people are saying words that they probably didn't mean to say. And, and I'm just reminded of how easy it is for you and I as Christians to kind of get our eye off the ball. How easy it is for us, even in relationships that seem obvious, right? Like a mother and a son or, or like a friend to another friend, how easy it is in, in, in situations like that to have something come in, whether it's politics or something else, and to all of a sudden forget. Forget that we're called to be in a relationship with this person. Forget that we're called to act in a certain way towards this person. We've talked in the series uh, uh, two weeks ago, we had talked about love and, and kind of how love is the central principle for all relationships that Christians find themselves in, according to Jesus. So whether that's with your spouse or with your children or with your coworkers or with your neighbors, um, love, um, blessing other people, being a source of love towards other people should always be our, our primary attitude, our, our default position towards others. Um, last week, we talked about the art of forgiveness that Christians are called to forgive, and, and we're called to forgive endlessly, and, and, and talked about kind of the steps towards getting there, and kind of the mindset we have to have in order to be able to practice the kind of forgiveness that Jesus calls us to practice to. And, and I was reminded this week, and I've just had this heavy kind of heart about this, how easy it is sometimes to find ourselves in relationships that aren't honoring Christ, that aren't honoring God, not because we couldn't figure out how to love somebody, or because we we couldn't really deal with the baggage that we have in order to forgive somebody, but just because we got distracted. Just because we forgot. Because something else happened in our life, and for a moment, our, our eyes went off the ball in a relationship that we know better suffers and is sabotaged and is destroyed. This morning in, in Mark 12, I want to look at a passage, um, picking up in verse 28, Jesus is here in this scene um, arguing with some religious authorities before his crucifixion. In verse 28, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? There's this famous Jewish uh, story where there's these two leading rabbis and, and a potential convert comes up and says, I have a, a question for, for which school I should follow here of Judaism. Who here can summarize the law best while balancing on one foot? And the idea is, right, you've got so many different commands in the Bible, in the Old Testament, for a convert to Judaism in the first century. You've got so many things, messages coming at us about how we're supposed to live, what type of people we're supposed to be. If you could summarize it all, what would it be? Like if you had one sentence... If you had one phrase, one, one motto, what would it be? What would we say God wants of us, God desires of us? What's the most important commandment? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, this shouldn't surprise you if you've been here uh, for the last couple of weeks. We, we saw this command already. Um, this is kind of our central launching point for the idea that we're supposed to love other people. Um, Jesus says that the greatest command, the one thing you should focus on is loving God and loving other people. This kind of double law, um, this relational um, two-way street of, of vertical and, and horizontal, 
being a, a love relationship with God and a love relationship with other people. The scribe responds in verse 32, saying, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, it's much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Okay, so we've got this double law of love. Love God and love other people. And what I want you to notice here is just the importance that Jesus places on this for for the human life, for living in response to God. The scribe comes up and asks him, what's the most important thing I mean, if God could send us one message, what's the most important thing for us to remember and to do second by second, day by day, week by week? And Jesus says, it's your relationships and your relationship to God. Love him with everything that you've got, with all the time and all the resources, with your heart, with your mind. And then look at the people around you. Look at your spouse Look at your family members, look at your neighbors, look at your coworkers. Love them as if they were yourself. Feel empathy towards them. Serve them and bless them and forgive them. For Jesus, the command to love is so central and supreme that, pardon my pun, no other situation ever trumps it. Like a conversation about politics, right, should never knock you off of the centrality and supremacy of this command, of what God desires from you to love him and love other people. We could say it in a few different ways. Um, If you're talking about politics with someone and it causes that relationship um, to be less full of love, you're doing it wrong. If you're online and and you're doing this, you're you're doing it wrong. You're, You're not doing it in the way that Christ has called us to. And, and I don't think it just applies to politics. I think this is just a great example that, that we're currently living in. Um, I think there's all kinds of things that come into our life that, that distracts us. If you look at what the scribe says, he says that this, this command is, is worth more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. I mean, really think about the, the depth of what he's saying there. Jesus says, you, you've answered wisely. The whole religious kind of establishment complex that had been built up, the burnt offerings, the sacrifices, the temple system, this whole big intricate structure of how to relate to God and understand oneself in a covenant relationship with God. Jesus here affirms that loving God and loving other people is not just worth that. And it's not just worth a little bit more of that. He says it's worth worth much more than all of it. Take every sermon that you've ever listened to. Take every church service that you've ever attended. Bundle them all up and put them in the trash can. If you can just grasp, if you can make this your daily moment-to-moment principle to love God and to love other people. It's worth more than the whole system. This is something you see um, repeatedly throughout the Gospels. And, And Matthew, in his version of the Great Commandment, he'll say this, that Um, On these two great commandments, all the law and the prophets depend. That all of what God's been trying to say is summed up by, is completed by, hangs on whether his people will love him 
and love others as themselves. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more central. And what, what happens to us, I think, is, is not that we sit down and we say, I want to get into a situation in a certain relationship with my spouse, with, with my, my daughter, my son, that is devoid of love, that is destructive, that is, is not fully whole. Um, what happens is we're living and we're going day by day, and something comes, something happens, and it distracts us. Our eyes are taken off of the centrality of this command. Our eyes are taken off of the focus that, that we should have, this kind of single-minded focus, that what God desires of us is to respond to all people in all situations with love. I mean, think of all the things that Christians are known for. Or think of all the things that you might hear if you were to go to someone and ask, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? What, what does a, a Christian lifestyle look like? Think of all the different things that, that could be said and, and, and that could be, be given. And, and some of them probably are good. Some of them aren't wrong. And just think of what would happen if, if we could just grasp on with everything that we've gotten and, and just dig into this double law command. Love God and love other people. St. Augustine once said, love God and do what you please. And, and he's not being hedonistic here, right? He's not saying you have like a carte blanche for your behavior as long as you can say that somehow you've like checked off this box to love God. He's saying once you've loved God fully, you can trust that everything else is going to be in the wheelhouse. I mean, if you're fully engaged in that relationship, you don't really need to worry about going outside the lines very much. Jesus will say in the book of John that that his disciples should be known for their love. They should be known for how they love each other. They should be known for how they love the people around them. Think of all the things in the world that Christians are known for. And then imagine what it would be like if the church was known for its, its love. If you have your scriptures, flip with me to Romans chapter 13. In, in Romans 13, Paul will kind of riff on this tradition from Jesus um, on, and the importance and centrality of the, the commandment to love one another. And the way he words is, is very interesting to me in, in Romans 13. We'll pick it up in verse 8. This is Paul speaking, and he's building off of what Jesus has taught in his lifetime. He says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Such an interesting way to phrase this. He says, don't be in debt to anybody around you. Don't owe anybody around you, except to always be aware that you have an obligation, that you owe the person in front of you, the person that you're speaking to or typing to, you owe them love, blessing, nurturing, protecting, encouraging, forgiving, serving. Paul's writing to a community that, that we know is probably dealing with, with some, some problems between Jews and Gentiles. People are having a, a hard time figuring who's exactly in and who's exactly out and, and where people's places are in the church. And he says, hey, amidst these kind of personal conflicts that you have, don't owe anybody anything except love. Because, again, why? The one who loves fulfills the entire law. All that God's ever wanted of human beings— can be found when they love one another. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. In verse 9, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. Here he quotes Jesus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
I mean, quite practically, literally, right? I mean, this is true. If you're going to love somebody else, then I think you'll be safe with the rules about committing adultery. Right? I think you'll be safe with the, the, the law about killing somebody. It's hard, I think, to love someone while you're killing them. So you can pick one and, and be like, okay, I'm safe with this other one. And he says, any other commandment, all that God has spoken to us of our sin, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. As Christians, in, in all of our relationships, as much as it is called of us sometimes to really think through why we're not able to love fully in certain relationships, in certain situations, circumstances, or, or what it is keeping us from offering forgiveness or accepting forgiveness in certain relationships, sometimes I think it's just a lot more basic. Sometimes I think Christians are just called to remember that we're supposed to love. That we're called to just focus on the centrality of this desire on God's part, of this mission for Jesus' people. I think it's just easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for life to come in the way and for our eyes to shift to something else. And then before we know it, we're sabotaging, hurting, infusing something other than love into a relationship. And all of a sudden we have a broken marriage, we have a broken relationship with our, our kids or our parents, we have a broken relationship with our coworkers and, and our neighbors. And it's not because we ever at one point sat down and said, hey, I think I should, as a Christian, not love people. It's just because you started talking about politics and your mind got on something else. And before you knew it, you'd hurt of relationship. Christians are called to, to focus on making loving investments in all of their relationships. And there's lots of things beyond politics, I think, that, that commonly distract us from making these kind of relational investments of love. I think one of the big ones is our jobs. I say this primarily as someone who's taught high schoolers for five years and, and teaches in the college system. Um, I can't tell you how many kids don't have a relationship with their parent or parents because their parents are more in a relationship with their work, with their job. It's their vocation. It's, it's what they feel called to do in life. That's what distracts them. That's what keeps them from being able to make a, a loving investment in their relationship with their spouse or in their relationship with their, their kids. I can't tell you how many children I've seen hurt and destroyed who, who care less about all the money daddy's bringing in if he would just spend a couple of afternoons with them, a couple of nights with them. But when it comes to our jobs, we, we build so much of our identity based on, on what we do, what we can offer the world, what we can contribute to the world. And our jobs are, again, very tied into money, to chasing money, to providing for our family. We know as Christians, money has this kind of allure towards us. It has this kind of suction over us. It can kind of pull us off track. And our jobs have an ability to, to, to compete for our time so that we have no time to maybe make those loving investments in our relationships. They can add things to our life that make it more difficult to, to make those loving investments. So the stress from our job, the anxiety we have, because of whatever it is that, that we do and what situation we find ourselves in. Or, or right, you, you pick up one of the, you know, just therapy books off the shelf at Barnes & Noble. I don't know if you've heard the acronym HALT. Hungry, alone, 
or hungry, angry, uh, lonely, and tired. These are the situations in which people are most likely to say things they don't mean, to destroy relationships without intentionally trying to destroy them. You, like, right, it's a Snickers commercial. <laughs> you're not yourself when you're hungry. You didn't eat lunch because it was a full day at work. You're coming home after a full day and you're tired. And instead of gearing up before you step in that door and your kids greet you, you walk in just unguarded. And the kids, bam, meet you with all the energy that the world could possibly hold. And not because of some malicious plan of your own, but just because you're tired from a long day and you're stressed out. You react in a way that's not Christ-like, that's not loving, that can in some unfortunate cases have, have permanent damage in our relationships. I think jobs can, can distract us from, from the centrality of loving other people. I think entertainment is one of the big distractors for Christians. By entertainment, I mean the media as a whole, so TV, movies, social media, our smartphones, or, or even just like hobbies that you might have. Again, time-wise, it, it maybe can suck some time out of your ability to make loving investments. Um, I, I took a group of kids on a trip to New York once, and, and I have this picture. It's, it's priceless. We were in a, a diner in New York, and so it's pretty crowded, and there were three girls who had to end up sitting in a booth with one gentleman um, who neither of them that was their preference, okay, to, to dine together. And the three girls all have their cell phones out, and they're looking at them like this. And this older, kind of, I think, Jewish gentleman with this big beard is just looking at them, like, very upset. <laughs> and they're just oblivious to the whole situation. They're sitting there with their, their phones in front of them. And I think of how many times that, that happens, not even just to strangers in a restaurant, but, but to our spouses, to our children to our parents, to our coworkers, to our neighbors. Because there's a silly game in front of us, we, we miss an opportunity to make a loving investment. Or we snap because we're frustrated because I was in the middle of Angry Birds. What are you doing? How dare you interrupt my sacred time here? What can also happen, I think, with, with entertainment is, I mean, you see this on social media a lot, it, it gives a lot of people a false courage and a bravado to say things that they wouldn't say in real life. You see this a lot with bullying, and, and I think even with the politics, right? People feel a lot stronger with the, the internet between them than they do face-to-face. I mean, think, for all the hatred that has, has come out of this election cycle so far, um, which, again, I'm, I'm just perfectly worried is only going to get worse over the next three weeks. For all of that, when Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton see each other in real life, watch how hard it is for them to say some of the things they're used to saying every day on the campaign trail. Now, unfortunately, it gets easier for them. You get desensitized to it. No promises for Wednesday night. Maybe there'll be no hold on it at all, right? And you've got to wonder, which one is their true mindset? I really do think Donald has some serious contempt for Hillary Clinton. Would actually probably throw her in jail. I mean, thinks she's a criminal, right? Thinks she is part of this big conspiracy. And I really do think Hillary thinks Donald is some, like, backwards, like, 1950s, kind of, like, evil, corporate, you know, mischief-type guy. 
And, and they say some horrific things about each other on the campaign trail. I'm not commenting on any of that. I'm just commenting on the phenomena that when they're together in real life, there's this hurdle to say it to someone's face, to say it to somebody. Social media can, can have this effect on us. And, and in fact, I think we're often unaware of how media affects us. When it comes to relationships, since the day you could start thinking and and incorporating thoughts, um, movies and television and and stories and literature have been teaching you a message about relationships, about what to expect from a spouse, a man or woman, about what to expect from parents, about what to expect from friends or neighbors or or coworkers. And, And it's often not that closely matched with reality. That's why it's entertainment. When we come into the world and, and we have these huge mis-expectations and, and we find ourselves constantly in conflict with the people around us because it's not like it is on the sitcom. I don't know if you've ever noticed, there's no TV shows about people sitting around a TV and watching TV shows. Have you ever noticed that? That's not where life's found. That's not where, where these, these loving investments are made. But it escapes. It's a quick escape from life when we're stressed out, when we're angry. It's, it's a way for us to disengage. It's a way for us to, to just have some fun, blow up some steam, jobs, entertainment. And then I think here's a big one, and you see this a lot in the church world. Agendas, I think, are, are, are a big way that, that Christians get their eye off of this, this so important command to love everyone around them. Watch someone who cares more about an agenda than they do about the human being in front of them. And you'll see someone who's going to be able to communicate and act in nasty, destructive, hurtful ways. A lot of times, even without knowing it. Definitely without intending to. But this program or this event or this um, um, idea, right, is just so important to them that the person in front of them becomes a, a pawn, a chess piece, or an obstacle in their way instead of a, a human being to love and to encourage and to nurture and, and to protect. Same with our goals and ambitions in life. Same with even just like our daily routines. I don't know if you're anything like me and, and, and you come up and you have this perfect routine for the day and then someone calls you and messes it all up. And you're like, I did not schedule in this phone call. And I had this whole day worked out to the T, how I was going to love people. But now all of a sudden my eye is off, right? My focus is, is, is shifted. I'm, I'm, I'm suddenly shaken. And all of a sudden I've justified a day or two days or three days or a week's worth of unloving behavior towards somebody else. And it's not because I, I planned on it. It's not because I was some evil person. It's just because something came and distracted me. Our jobs, entertainment agendas. I mean, here's what, what makes the call for Christians in relationships so different from, from everybody else in the world, from, from any book you might pick up at Barnes & Noble. It's the fact that the, the call for Christians to love other people never ends. It never meets a wall. It's never contingent on someone else's reaction, on the circumstances around you. It's like Christians are called to love their enemies, we're called to forgive our enemies, bless those who, who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. And you, you definitely cannot do that if you're not focused. 
if you're not zeroed in. I mean, if you're like me and, and a news article can throw you off course, then someone being mean to you is definitely going to make an obstacle towards you loving that person. And the only shot we have is, is, is being dialed in, being zeroed in on, on what it is that's so important that God wants from us. So this morning I ask you to, to think about your own life and, and your own relationships that you find yourself in and, and to think about what things in your life, maybe what specific triggers that you have or circumstances or events that come up in your life that threaten to distract you from, from Jesus' command. The most important thing, the whole law, the whole religious establishment is not even worth as much as if we could just zero in on this, loving God and loving other people. But, but what is it that comes into your life? What is it that comes into those certain relationships that, that throws you off, that distracts you? And as we, we think about that, and as, as we try to, to prepare to, to, to be more focused, to keep this in mind more of the time, I think there's no other place to start than to think about God's love first for us. That God makes us a priority. That God, his love is never distracted towards us. Nothing ever comes into God's world and, and makes him angry or anxious or hungry or tired or lonely. It makes him react towards us in a way that he wasn't intending to, in a way that wasn't loving. And it's as we experience that love and as we acknowledge and thank God for that love that we've received, I think that, that we'll be able to more firmly focus in on our call to love and then pay that love forward to the people around us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for our time this morning. I thank you for the teachings that you have given us through your son.